It was my belief that if you kill yourself, you won't go to heaven. So eventually, I got to the point where I felt that I could kill them. Hopefully they would go to heaven, and then maybe I would have a chance to later confess my sins to God and get his forgiveness. That was John List. What the f- Family Annihilator. That- what? Hit- okay. Hurt your brain, don't it? It's gonna be a lot of that today, guys. <laughs> so if you kill yourself, you don't go to heaven, but if you kill your whole family, you will. Makes sense. Totally. It's like God's back rule. Like, this is a side rule nobody knew about. It's unwritten, baby. <laughs> we Apparently, we've been on a kill your family kick with our stories, huh? Yeah. Once again, we vibing. We vibe? Caught a vibe. Caught <laughs> <laughs> <Got> a vibe. <laughs> Wait till we have a TikTok, guys. And I'm being 110% serious. This is Jen. This is Becky. It's too close to home. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> As we always like to say, we're excited to talk about this death. Always. So, uh, so far, this is John List. Family. Oh, wait. Before she gets started. Okay. We want to give y'all a little bit of um, news of what's going on in our area. Oh, yeah. It appears. <laughs> breaking news. Breaking news from too close to home. <laughs> in Galveston, it looks like they may have found a body. They're doing some digging, some et- Baiting after an anonymous tip of a body. So don't worry, guys. I'm going to drive out there and take some pictures, let y'all know what's going on. And me and Jeff are going to kind of keep y'all up to date because that might be a story we need to cover because that is clearly too close to home. Very too close. So shout out to Jennifer for pointing that one out. That's awesome. Our yes. true crime buddy over there. Uh, Scouting subjects for us. I mean, I love it. So John List, Family Annihilator. Oh, God, I can't wait to hear about this murder. Not the, I'm talking about the Galveston one. Like, I oh, need I to know. know. I need to know. Like, I'm Inquiring like, minds need to know. I'm like titillating with excitement. I know. It's the only time I follow the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, the news is too cheery this afternoon. They didn't find a single body. <laughs> John List, family annihilator. I'll go ahead and list off my sauces. Obviously, last podcast on the left because it's my favorite. Episodes 238 and 239. Wikipedia, article 1971 family fa- family killer breaks silence by ABC News. In the article, Johnny List, 82, killer family family members dies. New York Times, sorry, spoiler alert, he does die. But uh, <laughs> let's get it started. Let's get it started. Ah. Let's get it. <laughs> John Emil List was born September 17th, fellow Virgo, 1925. Ooh. He also had OCD. Now that makes sense. Bay City, Michigan. Liss was the only child of German-American parents. Oh, that brings That's... me back to that other episode. He was, uh, his parents were, his dad was Danish. Um, this one is German-American. Well, it's also disappointing that your only child and this is how they turned out. <laughs> you had one. That's me. I have one child See? in the lottery. Uh-uh. That's why I got three. That's that. You I got knew. a chance that one of them's going to turn out boss. decent. <laughs> one will be my shining star. <laughs> Which one will it be? Hopefully like all survivor. of them. Please, fingers crossed. Hopefully all of them. John, his parents were John Frederick List. He died in 1944. And his mother was Alma Barbara Florence List. And they happened to be kissing cousins. Um, They're like fourth cousins. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Alma was actually his second wife, almost 20 years younger. And she had been the nurse for his first wife as she was lying D- dying of cancer. Dying. You said lying. She was lying 
dying. Lying. Lay, dying. She lay dying. There we go. <laughs> okay. Grammar. I know it. <laughs> I was like, she was lying about being a nurse. <laughs> Basically, she's dying, and her husband's cousin comes in, takes care of her. She dies, and she gets everything. So. Cool. Nothing sets a vibe like that. Yeah. That's going to set the the course obviously so how'd you guys meet whoa (laughs) plenty of fish how'd you guys oh we're cousins (laughs) family reunion (laughs) i hadn't seen her in five whole years and then she took care of my dying wife (laughs) (laughs) they were extremely boring you (laughs) you love me they were extremely boring white bread lutherans and very stern he never had his own room his father actually had a spare room in the house, and they rented it out to make money. So homeboy had to sleep on the couch. Yeah, all right. He also uh, called John the boy instead of his actual name, and he really didn't like him. He instilled a strict adherence to the Lutheran faith and the Protestant worth of ethic, which means a man has to work long hours to provide for his family and spent all his spare time reading the Bible we're going to church. So, go ahead. That sounds like the worst existence, though. So, you all about the faith, but then you treat your kid like crap. And now I don't feel so bad for y'all that your only child turned out the way he did because it appears that you were grooming him to turn out the way he did. Just grooming psychopaths. That's sad. The only lust, the only um, sins that they would really look at in that faith were sloth, which is laziness, and lust. Um, the poor were looked at as looked at as sinful because they put themselves in that position. God wants you to make yourself rich. I don't know how God became a CEO. Uh, we asking have different versions of the Bible that we read, but okay. Amen. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> he also uh, hated assistance. Like asking for assistance was unmanly and. He was even notorious in his neighborhood. Like asking for directions. Ryan, how dare you? (laughs) I know where I'm going. So he even hated handing out candy on Halloween because the kids didn't work for it. Uh, Whole premise, babe. (laughs) John, being raised in this environment, was pathologically obedient. He was only punished twice in his life as a child for one running in the house, and two, causing a ruckus at church. Mm. A ruckus. Mm-mm-mm. What did he do? Shame. Mm-hmm. Right? Ring the bell. Shame. 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 <laughs> he particularly obeyed his mother, telling his teacher one time he couldn't play with the other children because mother doesn't want me to get dirty. That's sad. Sounds like very uh, Ed Gein and his mama, only like a clean white bread version he was also the typical Lutheran man at the time, stuffing all his feelings down. So you didn't talk about your feelings. You would just repress them. Darian, deep, deep down in there. Just deep down. We don't talk about them things. I mean, I can't be mad at him about that. <laughs> I tend to do that sometimes. He also was, had like a, a reputation, but like a boring one where he was remembered to be well-dressed, but super religious. And he kept to himself. He's very isolated, never really talked to people. Wasn't very outgoing. V- makes sense, considering his childhood. 
So after graduating, he joined the Army in 1943. As many killers do. Many. He hoped to fight the Nazis. The Nazis. The Nazis. <laughs> Leave that in. That was horrible. I can read. And I graduated from Georgia. <laughs> oh, okay. We, we understand we get it. now. You get it now, right? Yeah. So classy. He hoped to fight the Nazis, but he was stationed in Louisiana, and he was called by his uh, fellow soldiers, Prissy and Pius. Aww. In 1944, his father died, and he quickly visited home and returned to base as quick as he could because he didn't need to miss work. That's well, that's what his daddy would have wanted. Priority one. Why did why go then, bro? I wouldn't have. Fuck him. 1945, <laughs> he heads to Germany, but it's the end of the war, and the Nazis had already given themselves up. So the only exciting thing that he actually did is because he was raised in a German. American house, he could speak German. So he actually translated uh, Surrender, you know, where, like, him and these Nazis met up, like, him and his troop, and they were like, we already lost, so we need to go ahead and, you know, brokerage this this exchange of prisoners. So he was a POW, technically, for an afternoon, in which he earned a bronze star, which is like a participation medal. (laughs) Jennifer! No, I mean, like, his was a participation. Like, okay. That, not the Bronze Star itself, but, like, him. He, he, he doing earned that. his yeah. as a participation. Like, thanks for being here. You're a POW for four whole hours. Okay, there we go. Thanks for the clarity sorry, there, Jennifer. Sorry, guys. I am. Um, Jimmy's a veteran, so. America. <laughs> okay. That's like saying, I can say bad things because I'm married to a black man. <laughs> My husband's a veteran. That. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> No, I'm just um, saying I'm very pro-veteran. <laughs> no, mammy can't. <laughs> so now that I've fucked everything up, okay, anyways. <laughs> I got her all discombobulated, y'all. Yeah, no, I totally, like, missed a part. <laughs> of course, he gets out of the army, and at the advice of his mother, a.k.a., she said, John, you're going to do this. He decided to go to a business school and get a business administration degree from the University of Michigan with the pursuit and the career of accounting. Okay, look, it's kind of freaking (laughs) me out because his name is John, right? Yeah. My son's name is Jonathan. He was born in September. My Jonathan was born in September. You better tell him he better not have no family. going on to be an accountant. Okay, but here's the difference. My son wants to be an accountant. You're not Lutheran, okay? And I gave my baby lots of hugs. Still, even though he's grown up, I still call him my little baby boy. We call him John John. Yeah. He's not boring. He's what John List could have been had he been given the love. And he wants to get a job. And I tell him, bro, you're a teenager. Relax and enjoy the lush life while you can before you become an adult. No, this kid's got goals. Your kid's got goals. He does. But I tell him right now, don't get a job because you're going to work the rest of your life. So enjoy it. I wasn't like their parents that are like, look, look, look. Yeah. From like I'm doing things different, y'all. I'm making a change. (laughs) I'm breaking the cycle. (laughs) I looked at the man in the mirror. (laughs) That song for Michael Jackson to start playing. (laughs) It's exactly what I was going for. (laughs) He was actually really good at accounting, but he was really shit at talking to people and being a manager Obviously, he was a very bland person, very dry, no humor whatsoever, so not the pinnacle of fun. (laughs) And not saying that a manager has to be fun, but you have to have some people People skills. skills. And he definitely did not have that at all. And 
to kind of like you almost kind of feel sad for him with his beginnings because like the only thing he had going for him was like his close relationship to his mother and that's kind of creepy <laughs> like he would write letters to his mom talking about all the friends that he had in college nobody from college even remembers him oh that's sad so <coughs> instead of him going home his mother would actually take a train several hours and come stay with him at the University of Michigan and sleep in his dorm room for long weekends. Okay. I would not ever do that. Mm -mm. That's, that's, that's where I'm like, that's how you get your kid picked on. Was you, was you bumping your mama? <sighs> Sorry. Anyway, so he graduated with a B average and got a job at accounting firm in Detroit. So then starts the Korean conflict, and he gets recalled to war, and he was stationed at Fort Eustis, which is in Oklahoma, right? Mm -hmm. Anyways, I don't know. This is where he meets his future wife and murder victim, Helen Morris Taylor, the widow of an infantry officer who was killed in action in Korea, who lived nearby with her daughter, Brenda. And so Helen had already had a real shit life at this point. And you're like, how? How, Jen? How could she have had a shit life when she's going to get married to John List and get murdered later? <laughs> Let me tell you how. <laughs> I'd be glad to. She had a very shitty childhood that was abusive. And just like many women of the time, they ran away from home and got married. And she got married in 1941. So she gave birth to her daughter and accidentally got splashed in the face by the doctor with ether. And it caused her to lose muscle function and become cockeyed the rest of her life. So she had a really bad lazy eye. How do you accidentally get splashed in the face with it? Unless he was like huffing that ether while he was at it. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all burn babies. Why did she need ether? I, I don't know. This is where you're, you being a nurse is actually kind of super handy. Yeah, that's why I'm so confused how that happens. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why? It's the forties, you know. <laughs> no, right? They had just started washing their hands. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? There's germs out here. <laughs> Fun fact: the guy who actually invented a hand washing was committed to an asylum because they said he was fucking crazy. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, he was a her heretic, according to them. Gaslighting—it's been around forever, y'all. <laughs> Still is. <laughs> Of course, so she's got a lazy eye. She's had a shit childhood. She marries this guy. And Taylor, her husband, goes off to Korea. And he catches syphilis. And he brings that right on home to Helen. Aww. And when she catches syphilis. Now, the at the time when she caught it, there was not a remedy. And then, of course, antibiotics came back out and every, or was created and for this situation. And... It was available to treat it, but because she was not a soldier, the army did not deem her necessary enough to try treat. So her husband got treated, but she did not. Right. When she finally got treatment, it was already a little too late. She had damage to her internal organs. She went blind in one eye and it suffered extensive brain damage. Was it Alasia? Oh my god! I hope it is because then she at least has one good eye left. <laughs> You fucked up. We had simple as high and lazy eyes. Uh, so what? Bitch feel, had some bad luck. Right, the worst, and it only gets worse. <laughs> oh, death was the sweet release from the hell of a life she was living. Oh yeah. Fun fact: Did you know how you get the neurologic damage to the brain? 
Tell me about it, Nurse Becky. It eats holes into your brain. Mm. Just tunneling. That's got to be good. And <laughs> Capone had syphilis. Yeah, at the end of his life, he was... If you've not watched the, the movie, and I've heard people talk shit about the movie, but honestly, I thought it was pretty good. And it, like, shows, like, the the trauma, like, the things that were coming up in his brain and what his wife was going through. I think her name was May. And, like, he would shit himself. He was just fucking delusional. Yeah, he spent the last to, days fishing in his in-ground pool, trying to catch all the fishies. I hope he did. <laughs> I, I love when I listened to uh, last podcast on left on their Alcatraz, and they talked about when he was at Alcatraz and the other inmates were, like, trying to shake him down for money. But he was, like, so batshit crazy at the time that he would just be like, my feet are fish <laughs> <laughs> and they're like I don't think we're gonna get anything out of him <laughs> I think he's done <laughs> <laughs> so uh, her husband actually died in combat which led to her putting him on this pedestal that, that John could never live up to and she would taunt him during their marriage that her first husband uh, what's his name I don't even think I wrote his name. Shit. Anyways, so that her husband, you're never going to compare to him. He's way better. He died in Korea. He actually did something in his career. Um, that kind of shit. So Helen and John started dating. Bitch, you a single woman with a kid and a lazy eye. Oh, right. And Who syphilis. are you to cast stones in this glass house? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Helen and John started dating eight months after her husband's death due to his Steady and stable boringness. You know, after having a husband that died in war, I guess she was looking for the alternative route. But Helen's family wasn't impressed by John, and John's mother called her a dirty rebounder. Oh, my job. <laughs> <laughs> Within two months of dating, she claimed to be pregnant as a way to trap him into marriage, and it worked. As women do. So she got married, they got married, and then he finds out that it was false, and he's like, well... Uh, gotcha! <laughs> not going to hell, I guess I'm going to have to be stuck to this bitch. So, in 1954, they moved to a Detroit suburb, and despite hating children and calling them bur burdens, she gives birth to her daughter Patricia, followed by John List Jr. in 1956, and Frederick, and they called him Fred, List in 1958. They moved to Kalamazoo to work for him to work at a better company, a paper company, which sounds like every accountant's wet dream. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so John, of course, super Lutheran. He goes to church religiously. Anytime not spent at work, he's reading the Bible, going to church. She actually stopped going to church and became a raging alcoholic. And that led to the kids missing church as well. Adorable. So despite his unhappiness with his children and wife not attending church, he became the church treasurer. And you know that he's repressing his feelings the whole time, you know, because his wife is now a huge sinner for not going to church. She's lazy about this. His children are starting, like, they're becoming heretics in his eyes. So Helen would actually get drunk and make fun of John for being a goody two-shoes and just but he would sit there and take it. He would never talk back, never argue with her. Just doing it. Just a serial killer stew. Maybe we should be nicer to our husbands. <laughs> they don't ever talk back either. <laughs> <laughs> so Al Helen's alcoholism and 
rampant health issues were exasperated by all the tranks she was on because you know like in that time people on Quaaludes like nobody's business she started falling to pieces both physically and mentally and she became super unstable and agoraphobic she would never leave home well if I were an alcoholic with one lazy eye and one syphilis <laughs> eye and I hadn't been taking care of myself I probably wouldn't leave home either I'm just right. saying just gonna put that out there <laughs> just I'm gonna say that so uh, she became super unstable and she would do weird things like turn all the lights on at night and then start vacuuming at like three o'clock in the morning. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> and she also became very materialistic. Like the kids had to have the best clothes, the newest, oh, no. this, the newest that Mm-mm, not me. Never but will be. She would wear like the tip top line of everything, but never leave home. And nobody came over. They didn't fraternize with their neighbors. She Well, she did have a lot of brain damage from that syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, and then, you know, with the Lutheran faith, if you were rich, you were in God's favor and everything. So he's just going to go with it because he thinks it's his moral responsibility yeah. he's like, as the man of the house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. <laughs> anyway, so... She gets worse, and, you know, she already isn't doing shit around the house. Hated kids to begin well, with. Well, she is vacuuming at 3 a.m. occasionally. Right? <laughs> that takes a lot out of me. <laughs> so I don't do anything else for, like, two days. <laughs> White! Now I have a robo vacuum, so. <laughs> right. This shit does it for me. 10 a.m. every morning. Okay. Eight for me. <laughs> she, when they had these kids, despite not liking these kids, he would, she would Did call. Did he like them? Or was he like his dad, like, like working Bible, working Bible, working Bible, not That's really the money. like love. Okay, there's it's very loveless, and so the kids would be in diapers, and she would call his ass up at work and be like, "You better come home and change your kid's fucking diaper," and that motherfucker would. Okay, so I bossed JJ around a lot, <laughs> but not that much. <laughs> like she took that shit to a new level. If he ever says I boss him, I'm like, did I call you to come change diapers while you were at work? No. <laughs> Because if he didn't, the kids would just sit in their shit until he came home. So he had to care a little bit, I think, or else he would have just left him there. But but probably just for appearance purposes. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's not a good appearance. Like, at the time, it's like the 50s, and he's like, fellas. You know, because that's like the Mad Men era. Like, fellas. fellas. <laughs> Let me, uh, the fellas, I gotta go home and change a shitty diaper. Because that was the time when the men didn't do shit around the house. Oh, no. They made the money, they came home, they ate first, they everything. It sat on the couch, smoked their cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> Sorry. She would still comp- just talk massive shit. Like, you had a fucking dumbass haircut. You, you ma- bitches came all the way over more to change the diaper. Your dick is small. <laughs> like, shit like that. And I'm like, not going to victim blame here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to say it was okay, but I'm going to say I understand. Yeah, right. Uh, he was very extreme white or like a right winger um, politics wise. He believed Democrats were evil communist and that the moral fabric of America was becoming unraveled. Now, he. So he was Trump nation before Trump nation. Absolutely. I'll go back on right again. Brenda, which is from the first marriage with her husband that had passed away, knowing that this was a shit childhood, she did the same thing. She escaped from home at 18 by getting married. She got married and divorced twice and was on her third marriage when she actually found love. 
John looked at Brenda's path as a moral failing and hoped to keep his own daughter, Patricia, safe from her future like that. So, so Brenda made it out. Yeah, she made it out and she survived, which is not John's biological child, but she was in his household for as long as she just about could remember. So this is when things start like kind of falling apart for him. He loses his job at Sutherland Paper Company because he wasn't able to swim in the corporate world of the 60s. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Mad Not Men being a people goes person. from the 50s to 60s. And it, you have to be able to, you know, schmooze. It's about having cocktails at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and talking. And not going home boys. and changing the diapers. Your wife should be doing that. Exactly. He couldn't couldn't keep up with that. And not to mention, he was like a fucking drearily, plain, boring, ultra-religious. Like, that's going to kill the vibe at every party. This actually happened to him a lot. He would lose jobs. And instead of telling his family, he would get up, get a suit and tie on, and he would go down to the train station and read a paper all the day and then come home and pretend that he was working until he found another job. I wish I could do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you back in 12 hours, I'm going to work. Yeah, right? <laughs> so this whole time, I would totally put on my scrubs and pretend that's where I wasn't just go read papers I mean listen to podcasts all day like and come home and be like oh you think about thing. hotels and people checking in for like just daytime hotels is just having sex I'm sure there has to be some moms that check in and be like I just need eight hours <laughs> I'm just gonna sit in that shower I'm not worried about the hot thing water I work bill. 12 hour shifts I'd be gone for 12 he actually did get a job with the Xerox company but because he had changed jobs so much he kept losing pay and you know, he would get behind. So he's like robbing Peter to pay Paul to keep up with things. He's actually, the funny thing is he's the one who came up with the 25 cents per copy. Really? He made Xerox all that money. So every time you guys are at the library, library, I know it's library. I just like saying library. I've always said library. <laughs> he And you pay 25 cents for your copy. You just think of John List, the family annihilator, okay? Thanks, I will forever. He was promoted to director of counting services, but he could not handle the pressure at all to the point where, like, if he had to speak in front of people, he would break out in hives, like super anxiety. You sure his name wasn't JJ? <laughs> JJ, you better not get no ideas. <laughs> he doesn't break out in hives, but he does break out in the sweats really bad. Right. And so, of course, at that time, uh, they would have corporate social gatherings, and that's when he'd have to bring lazy-eyed Helen up there who's bopped out on fucking quaaludes and alcohol <laughs> and has a syphilis I don't forget that yeah got that syphilis brain going on so she's like wasted as shit hitting on his co-words co- co-workers and would tell like his co-workers like he don't measure up to my first husband <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow so understanding more and more why what happened happened <laughs> of course John's not saying a goddamn word like, he ain't getting mouthy. He's like, no, nope. just going to hold it in. JJ's not that, that soft-spoken. <laughs> he wouldn't allow that. John turned 40 in 1965, and with the country going into the flow of the groovy 60s, he swore the country was going to hell in a handbasket because, you know, it's the time of love. People are getting out there doing acid and shit, you know. She was actually, Helen was actually in the early stages of cerebral atrophy from the syphilis, alcohol, and pills. And by 1966, (laughs) she was in and out of the hospital. She couldn't walk and even fractured her skull, blacking out from drinking one time. Jesus. So she just reverted like an Alzheimer's patient, pretty much. She was unable to 
answer questions like doctors would talk to her and she would just like smack her lips and do weird like she was figuring out her face or something she just wasn't there like it was degraded at that time he leaves Xerox and becomes VP of a bank in Jersey City New Jersey and that's when they relocate to their final home in Westfield New Jersey now Helen loving money and loving the status look uh, she insisted on a nicer, more elegant home, and they moved into Breeze Knoll, a 19-room Victorian mansion. At, Jesus Christ. Yeah. At 431 Hillside Avenue in Westville, New Jersey. It cost $57,000, and it was twice their budget. Now, think about this. He was already behind on everything. Owed money, didn't have the money to do this. Add insult to injury. Not only was this a fucking mansion that you'd have to heat and they have energy yeah. and water and all that. It was also an ancient house, which meant it needed constant repair. And none of these are cheap repairs. It's Victorian houses. So to keep it period, you know you'd have spent an extra money right there. Uh, in order for him to get the house, he had to actually ask for a loan from his mother. And her policy was, all right, I'll give you this money. But if I do this, I get to live with you. He's like, fine. Whatever. Fine, there's 19 rooms. Come yeah. on over. I won't even know you're here. Take care of my fucking syphilis and broken down drunk wife. Please. I go to work. Uh, so his mother actually wrote home to a friend after this and said it was the worst part of her entire life, living in this mansion with the List family. Sounds like it. Oh, I sound like any time around John List would have been fucking terrible. She's like, I put the wrong stipulations on this love. <laughs> would have been like, you should not have been coming But there was over. 19 rooms. Couldn't you get away from them? Uh, right? Well, she did live in like a separate apartment area. So they didn't really have to talk to each other very much. But even then. I'm sure you could hear crazy Hel well, Helen, right? Her yeah. Name is Helen. Crazy Helen. Helen wandering the halls vacuuming at night. He was so much better than you. <laughs> yeah. One time, a neighbor tried to bring a, pri a pie over to the list as a welcoming gesture after they moved in, and he was like, no thanks, we don't socialize with neighbors. But I'm going to be honest, though. I really wish my neighbors would never talk to me either, so. <laughs> <laughs> we have one neighbor, and we just wave at each other. We feel like I need you to be on the, like, the cool wavelength me and my next-door neighbor has, where we just like, hey. <laughs> That's what me and my neighbor do. The only time I see her is when she's on the ring camera when she's putting her trash can away, okay? And they only started waving to me after I found his iPhone in the grass and gave it to his wife. <laughs> oh, he was like, that's your cool. That's your cool. They're, they're like, all right, she cool, she cool. <laughs> just like his dad, he was known as an uptight asshole. Didn't do the Halloween thing. He had a shitty attitude. But it could have been the coolest haunted house ever. Right. A Victorian Some Casper stuff, though. Yeah. That's my first thought. You could have been with Casper. They had the best haunted house ever. It was Devon Sowell the whole time, and we didn't know it. <laughs> so, anyways, he was known as, you know, very much like his dad. And because he was so miserable, of course, from years of repressing all his feelings, he actually got told... By the Sunday school, like, we don't need you teaching anymore. You're a little bit too much of a downer. Oh, my. Even yeah. the church says you're boring? <laughs> the church says you're boring. <laughs> Their home oh. was sparsely decorated, and they had very little furniture. And within a year, John loses his job, and he has to pretend everything's fine. He does the same thing he does before. Goes to the train station, pretends like, you know, no big deal. I've got a job. I'm working. Look at me. I'm worky-working, you know? <laughs> and... He double mortgages his house 
as he's slowly draining his mother accounts at the same time because he's an accountant. He's got control over all her money. This whole time, you know, he's robbing Peter to pay Paul, draining his mother, and he finally lands a job as VP at the American Photogenic Company in New York City. It was half the rate of his Xerox job, and that was already a pay cut after the bank. So he was very behind anyways. This was not going to get him anywhere further. It's just like pennies, right? Compared to what he really needed to pay for this big-ass house. The company actually relocated, and because John was stuck with his mansion, he couldn't relocate with him, so he lost his job again. Nobody was sad to see him go, though, because he was, like, really rigid and shit. They're like, mm -hmm. thank God we dropped that loser. <laughs> All the while, <laughs> Helen still demanded constant expensive clothes and items, which is crazy because, like, despite her mental failings now, she's like, Gucci! <laughs> I love legit Gucci! <laughs> she would actually still complain about his performance in bed, and he felt as... I'm sure it was probably very vanilla. Oh, my God. Missionary only, probably with the lights off. Absolutely. Under the blanket so nobody could see his ass. Same speed the whole time. <laughs> Slow and steady. Slow and steady. <laughs> he grew really strict at home, and he started being really rigid, planning his kids' days. Started being really rigid. Well, I mean, like, super... <laughs> Even more than before, he would plan the kids' days down to the second, put them all in these extracurriculars, made them get jobs, things like that. And Helen, her health continued to deteriorate to the point where he had to take care of her and because she was bedridden due to like these intense headaches and she would vomit all the time, so she just never even left her room. So the kids pretty much had to but take she care would of still themselves. occasionally shout Gucci. <laughs> Gucci! <laughs> She was not Gucci. Maybe she just meant things were nice. She didn't really want that, and he just kept buying it for her. He didn't know the slang. <laughs> I mean, I mean, medicine. I don't know why he keeps bringing me all these purses. <laughs> her sister suggested hiring a nurse, to which he yeah, complained. because he has plenty of money to do so. Right? He, compl he complained how expensive it was, and she was like, well, you could ask for assistance. And he gave her the dirtiest look, because she's recalling, you know, after everything that's happened. All the kids at this time were between 13 and 16. Patty, which is Patricia, the oldest, starts theater um, at 16 years old, much to Don John's dismay, because to him, the theater is the devil. Of course. And it's akin to prostitution. Duh. You're selling yourself in this performance. Unbeknownst to John, she told her friends she was studying to be a witch. Could you imagine if he had found that? Oh, God. One instance, he snuck, she snuck out to smoke with a friend and was caught by the cops at 2.30 in the morning. And her dad comes to the jail, dressed fully in a suit, freshly shaven. Could you imagine this man waking up being like, I got to be presentable. I'm a full ass shave to go pick up my child out of the jail. Like, it's kind of unsettling. At the time, probably not. He just looked like he had a stick up his ass. But like, there knowing now... Like, how psychotic he was. That was probably the one control he had in his life. Mm -hmm. I have control over my appearance. I have control over this. And this is a very out of control. And I'm out of this. And it's not my thing. <laughs> one of the final pieces of, like, the nails in the coffin for him, so to speak, was she was wearing a very thin, short crop top shirt. 
and it had a peace sign that said, make love, not war. And his only act of violence previous to the murders, he pushed her against the wall, tore her shirt off, and started calling her and Helen dirty, dirty sluts. They stopped speaking altogether. No surprise there. And by the summer of 1971, he was a home insurance salesman, earning a fraction of what he earned before. Him, home insurance salesman. Could you imagine this man coming to visit you? What if there's a fire in your home? Oh. Like, the lack of enthusiasm. Don't guess he was top-rated salesman mm -mm. of the year. Mm -mm. So at that time, he had three mortgages on his house and thousands of dollars in debt to the gas company and the milkman, because we still had milkman at the time. The house came under foreclosure, and he was facing bankruptcy, so John decided to come up with a plan to escape. Divorce and suicide were not an option. Suicide, you're going to go to hell. Divorce, you're going to go to hell. His mother was too old to care for the kids, so killing Helen and running wasn't an option either. He felt like leaving his children would lead to the kids leaving the church altogether, and that was like a no-go as a Lutheran. And Helen, who was suffering from paresis and close to dying, they were going to end up being orphans if he didn't kill her. Despite the option to take bankruptcy out, he chose what he deemed as a more righteous route to welfare, <laughs> important and since poorness is a sin. And this is where the murder plot thickens. If he kills everyone, everyone will go to heaven and his debts will be behind him because he's creating a whole new identity. And he could just ask God for forgiveness. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So Makes sense. literally that's the only option, guys. Yeah. Makes sense. So this is where he starts planning out these murders. Now that he's decided to kill his family, he has like this honeydew list of death, you know, where I got to get all these things prepped and ready for the final D-Day. Oh, I'm bringing a whole new ring to it. He had two handguns, a 9mm and a 22 pistol in his home. And he wanted to go buy another one for some reason. And this is the part, like, we haven't ever, I don't, I don't have heard of anything, any clarification since he's been caught of why he did this. But he actually went to the local police department to fill out a handgun permit application a month before the murders, which requires fingerprints. And he ultimately never even picked up the permit. So he literally just went down there and left fingerprints, which were not on record at the time whatsoever. I don't know why he did that. Like everything at this point had to be like, I don't know what his train of thought was or if it just didn't work out to plan like he was hoping. But some of it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure he was having a mental breakdown, so this point he was as crazy as his syphilis wife yeah. yeah riddled wife he gave patty permission to have a halloween party now remember Halloween Never. is not a good thing for him it's, it's very socialistly to give these kids something without working for it how, how dare you he has his part it lets patty have this party and she invites all her drama club friends so it's like a twofer you got halloween and, and drama club right <laughs> Uh, hand in hand baby it sounds like a good time to me sounds like John I didn't think there were prostitutes he did just citing the obvious right right <laughs> uh, clarity is everything I would think that this may have been a way for him to justify even more his murder of 
Patty and, and everybody because just look at them. Just full of sloth and lust over there. Prostituting it out by the drama club. You know? See, here I was thinking maybe he's just letting her have one good time before he kills her. But your you're, is probably more accurate. Like, I just have to have a good fail-safe reason on why I'm going to kill this child. After that, he sat down the family one afternoon in a calm fashion. Obviously, just the kids because Patty, not Patty, Helen's like... Dying upstairs already. Siffling out of her mind. His mama's in a whole different apartment. He tells his children that they're going to be dying soon and that he's going to kill them. And he wants to know how they would like to be buried or if they would like to be cremated. Stop. Yes. What'd they say? I think the children wanted burial. uh... That's the sad thing is like after he killed these kids... You know, obviously we're all aware that he's killed his children. He left a note that said all the kids want to be cremated because cremation is the cheapest option. So he didn't even listen. It was a terror tactic to me. Like I'm wanting to like he's getting this pleasure from these kids, which is unusual because he's so used to stuffing his feelings down. But in this moment, he's just using terror against these kids. After that, after he gets everybody's last wishes, which is burial or whatever, he decides to go into his study and lock himself in. Kids freak the fuck out, right? I would have bounced. Right. But these kids, I think because of their upbringing, were just very like, we have to follow the rules. I feel like there's a time when it's okay to deviate from them, but I wasn't there. Yeah. Patty, she had a drama teacher named Ed Eliano. It was a very inappropriate relationship. Um, I'm not sure exactly how inappropriate or if it was like they'd slept together or anything like that, but it was inappropriate nonetheless. And she expressed her father's threats to murder her to him. He's like, this is not what I signed up for when, when I'm doing my pedophile thing. He, he shrugged it off as like a, you know, attention seeking thing, you know. So he oh, like dro- she made it up? Yeah, like, oh, she's just trying to keep me around. Obviously, when I'm not into doing this for more than the sexual gratification of it or whatever. He drove her home one night, and at the door, John Jr. grabbed Ed and said, You're welcome in this house any time. If you're in the neighborhood, just drop by. And Ed recalls the look on his face as quiet hysteria, which I'm like, that's dramatic. That that's not a drama teacher, but I, I don't know I what it is. But could you? I could imagine this child's like eyes filled with fear. Well, because of his inappropriate behavior with Patty, he didn't say anything. Of course not. Not going to do anything about it. So on November eighth, Patty called Ed and begged him to come over, and wouldn't tell him why. He was tired and annoyed by the whole situation, so he's like, "I'm not coming over." November 8th, 1971 was supposedly the night for sure that John List decided he was going to murder his family. And he states that was the best night he had slept in years. And that's where we'll leave off because this is a two-parter. Spoiler alert. I, I guess I've read about John List so many times and researched him so many times. I just have all this information. I've never heard of him that I recall. So I'm sitting here like, I'm watching an episode of IDTV and it's 
I'm having a good time. First but this all, time, they actually listen to my feedback. Which is go to commercials. Wait, 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 wait. I have a question about that. <laughs> and the, the person narrating laughs at my jokes. Because <laughs> you're the fucking funniest person I know. <laughs> Same with you. So next time, we'll pick up on part two of John List, The Family Annihilator. And we're going to go into the darker part. Mm, yeah. I'm actually like excited to hear it because the first part's done really good. Oh, well, I'm loving it. Up to it. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm loving it. Watch it be like super similar. Okay, and then then see. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. It was a letdown. <laughs> it's like my first marriage. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you guys, stay tuned for the next part of John List and uh, thank you for listening. Find of us on course. socials, send us an email. Fall in our DMs, whatever you have to do. We love you guys. Thanks for the support and everything. And we're starting to get some listener stories. Send us some more, please, so we can do our first episode of Listen to Stories. Yes. Before I, hear I make about... my husband give one. Hmm. And he lived a perfect childhood, so I, I don't would know worry. that his I would so worry that he's like... too close to home would be. Let me tell you about the murder of my wife. Well, JJ, you've never, you've never been married before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, God. Stop it. Now I'm scared to go home. <laughs> he gonna do a damn thing. Oh, oh. <laughs> I seen you. I found out he had some dark pads. You like... girl. Take him down to the knees. <laughs> if I found out he had some dark pads like that, I would be completely shell-shocked. I would literally shit my pants. Because <laughs> he is, like, the epitome of wholesome and sweetness. <laughs> he's so fucking honest. He's, like, America's... Like, he's what people think about with, like, white pick of fisses. He's all American. He is. He is what more people should aim to be because he is just a sweet, caring, wonderful person who hopefully okay, does not have, have a to dead humble him. wife You're a that nerd, I didn't JJ. know. You're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but we love you. No lies told. All right, you guys. Stay safe. Keep your head on the swivel. And do not be John List and bring it so close to home that it's right inside your home. Be like Helen. <laughs> <laughs> You never was as good. <laughs> Go chase. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you like listening to us, you can find us on Facebook at Too Close Pod or under the Instagram handle Too Close Podcast. Also, if you have any stories of your own Too Close to Home experiences, shoot us an email at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.